0: Well, we're in first Corinthians chapter 14. We're leading up to Easter. And uh, what is first Corinthians 15 called? The resurrection chapter. And we're going to hit the resurrection chapter the Wednesday before resurrection Sunday. So that'll be perfect. Won't it? Um, So, um, 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to pray before we get into it, but I will say this by way of introduction. There are probably a lot of preachers that simply will not teach out of this passage um, or would rather it just wasn't there. It's uh, got some challenging aspects to it, um, and uh, it's going into some detail uh, when it concerns prophecy versus tongues. And of course, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about tongues when we were in chapter 12, uh, when tongues was mentioned, and I gave my view concerning that. Um, we need to be careful with that particular issue because it's very divisive. Churches have divided over that. Um, you know, I, In fact, I didn't mention this last time, but I'll give this, uh, this uh, example, this anecdote. There was a couple that was attending our church um, back in, hmm, I think, 2010, I want to say. And I can remember, because um, we've had this similar configuration in this building since then, they used to sit right over here. And um, I did a series uh, called Basic Training, and it's that booklet that I have that I give to all of our new members. And the, the last uh, lesson is uh, over the Holy Spirit, And so I talked about tongues on that Sunday and I said what I've always said. I believe tongues is a legitimate gift. This is something that the Lord has given me. It's not something that, you know, I'm going to ever exercise in a church context uh, publicly and so forth. That's not what the Lord wants. Um, It's not something that I just call up and do or anything like that. But I really do believe that it's a real gift. That was the last Sunday they attended. And I didn't put two and two together until someone else had mentioned it but they were the next door neighbor to another previous church member and they actually they were very very kind they actually gave us a significant donation uh shortly before they left uh so that we could send a a lot of kids to camp this is when craig was our youth minister and uh we were gosh we were bringing 50 kids to camp and we were paying for all of them I mean, a few of the kids that were, that parents in our church were paying, but we were paying for all, we couldn't do that now. Um, But in any event, that, you know, that is just an illustration of how divisive this topic can be. Um, And, you know, there are churches that will teach or do teach that you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you have the gift of tongues, right? And they, they sort of separate out the baptism of the Holy Spirit from receiving Christ. There's a, a lot of different uh, ideas floating around out there concerning that. But here's the reality. The Holy Spirit brings Christ into you, right? So since the word baptism means immerse, and since it is also associated with your inaugural um, uh, symbol that you participate in in the church, you're baptized, right? This inaugurates you as a Christian. This is what identifies you as a Christian when you're baptized in water. Um, Then there is a tendency to think of baptism of the Holy Spirit as for some, something that would be necessary in order for someone to be saved. But I think most Pentecostal and some charismatic uh, groups would say, no, this is an additional experience that you receive. But it is essentially an experience that you receive at at a point in time. and, And it can happen very close to the time you receive Christ or, you know, somewhat later. But here's the reality. That word baptizo in Greek just means to immerse. So it's really a synonym for being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means that you are controlled by the Spirit. So these gifts that we looked at in chapter 12 that are manifestations of the Spirit, these are going to manifest when the Spirit is in control. When you're in control, you can see this going on around you and try to work that up but you don't work it up. He brings it down. When you're filled with the spirit, then these manifestations are going to occur. Even if you're not uh, trained well enough or discipled well enough to exactly understand what's going on. What we find in the book of Acts is that every time the gospel entered a new area of the world. Now, Acts is organized in accordance with the concentric circles of geography that are outlined in Acts 1-8. Jesus said, And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, that's where they were. In Judea, that's the surrounding state. In Samaria, that would have been the first somewhat foreign area that was adjacent to their uh, state, if you will and to the remotest parts of the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remotest parts of the world. Watch what happens in Acts. When the gospel enters a new area, people, when they receive Jesus, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues and they prophesy. And this is what we're going to talk about in this chapter. But every single person that receives the Holy Spirit doesn't do that as soon as they receive Christ or receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Paul didn't. The Apostle Paul was struck to the ground, right? And then he, he was blinded. He was led into the city of Damascus. Um, a man named Ananias was called by the Lord to go and put his hands on Paul and pray for him. And in, there's nothing in that account or in Paul's own account of his conversion experience that indicates that he prophesied or spoke in tongues. That's the apostle Paul. Now here, he's going to tell you very clearly, I speak in tongues more than you all. So that's not to say he didn't have that gift. It's not to say that he wasn't filled with the spirit. It's not to say that he didn't speak prophetically. He did. What I'm trying to say is we can't just look at everything as exactly the same, identical. Everybody's experience is not the same. You put your faith in Jesus you allow the spirit to take over, right? You just let him have control in your life. Now, this doesn't, you know, get rid of your will. You're still you. You still have the ability to say yes and no. And that's why we can quench the spirit and we can grieve the spirit because we're still able to resist God's working in our life. But if you want these manifestations, these gifts to occur, then you need to be, um, willing to do his will. You need to be willing to go along with him, all right? So that's somewhat of an introduction to this idea. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter because I think we need to stay in context. Context. Um, It looks like it's going to take us three weeks to get through this chapter. And like I said, that will bring us to the resurrection chapter the Wednesday before Easter right? Um, I really wanted to get through this chapter f- uh, faster than this, but there's just so much material here and I don't want to skip it. <laughs> you know, where else are you getting this? That's the that's the problem. You know, we feel like we need to kind of keep people's attention and maybe entertain them somewhat and, you know, say things that they want to hear, and but then we don't ever get fully taught. Well, at least on Wednesday, and if you're tuning in uh, via the podcast or online, then you can get this teaching and we can do this verse by verse. All right. So I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. I'm going to pray first so that we'll have understanding. And uh, then we're going to read this chapter. Father, I do pray that you'll open your word to us. I pray that those that are uh, in the room tonight and those that are joining uh, either tonight or later will be receptive to what your Holy Spirit wants to teach them. And I pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Remember, we just came out of the love chapter, chapter 13, right? Especially that you may prophesy. Verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, to prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your giving of thanks when he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy or prophecy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare God is really among you. Verse 26, what then brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things done be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, then let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy, or prophecy, one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophet, prophets are subject to prophets. So there's accountability. Verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. What a different world they lived in. Verse 36. Oh, was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order. And that last verse could be the theme for the whole chapter. This is what he's trying to get at. All things should be done decently and in order. Okay. So let's go all the way back up to verse one. That's 40 verses. That's why I said, this is going to take three weeks to get through. I think he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophecy. So bridging the resurrection chapter with, Uh, excuse me, the resurrection chapter, bridging the love chapter with this, we see that everything should be motivated by love. To pursue love means that each of us is seeking the best for the rest of us. That's what we're to do in the church. I'm told to desire spiritual gifts, but not so that I may be more spiritual than others. In fact, not for the sake of being personally more spiritual either, but to benefit the rest of Christ's body, his followers, the church. Um, I mentioned to you when the gospel was introduced into a new area, faith on the part of the hearers brought tangible evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence, speaking in tongues and prophesying. Um, Now, it is interesting that some Christians today insist that speaking in tongues is the only evidence which satisfactorily proves the presence of the Holy Spirit in another Christian's life. Yet, these same brothers and sisters seem to ignore prophecy. Why don't they think prophecy validates the filling of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. There is this focus on tongues. Um, Are they just enamored with the exotic? Or worse, is there imitation of ecstatic babbling going on as a means of acceptance into the community? That may well be. I've seen, and I've mentioned this in here before, uh, churches and ministers who will seek to get the person in the rhythm or the groove of speaking in tongues by having them say a phrase over and over. Or in a couple of occasions, I've seen ministers who will take a finger or two fingers and put it under the throat of the person and then wiggle it up and down so that they can... That's just not what we're talking about here, friends, at all. Okay. Um, So do some people fake tongues alongside... Other attention-seeking histrionics, uh, such as being slain in the Spirit, clapping loudly, laughing, crying, running around the room, are some deluded into believing that their emotional outbursts are Holy Holy Spirit-driven? The Holy Spirit moves, but I respond. So I'm not saying that someone could not be overwhelmed by the presence of the Spirit and fall down, so-called being slain in the Spirit. I'm not saying that that's not authentic, right? But I am saying it's often faked and it is seen as, uh, you know, evidence of the presence. But anybody can do that. Right. There's a certain minister who I won't mention, who for some time, at least in the 90s, maybe up to the early 2000s, would blow on an audience and they would all fall over. This is mass hysteria, okay? maybe there are people because there was really and in those meetings the the worship was 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 good, it was authentic it was you know it was christ centered worship and so people could be overwhelmed by the presence of the spirit, but often we tell ourselves certain things and then we respond in those ways okay um, you know and there have been even with the, the, uh, in the early days, well, even later uh, of the Pentecostal movement, there were some strange things that were going on that really cast it in a very, very negative light. Um, uh, You know, there were people that were, that were barking, uh, you know, uh, there was, uh, there was a movement. I want to say, you know, I can't even remember where it was. I want to say it was in the region of Oklahoma. um, And there was a fellow that was there and everybody that went, uh, to this guy's meetings, they would start laughing and they would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Well, if if, if you've ever been in a room with a bunch of people that are laughing, it makes you want to laugh. Doesn't. Okay. Unless you're super skeptical, but especially if you're receptive to that and you go, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. This was in the nineties as well. Um, But uh, I know that that was like a big thing for a while. Laughing and crying and all these emotional things don't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit's there. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not. Human beings are human beings. You may cry, you may laugh, you may fall, right? But those are not, those aren't spiritual gifts, okay? Those aren't manifestations of the Spirit. Those are manifestations of you responding to something, to other people in the room, to your own perception, or perhaps to the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, The problem with tongues is it's such a subjective and non-intellectual gift. I didn't say anti-intellectual. I said non-intellectual. You don't engage the intellect when you speak in tongues. And because it's that way, there's no objective way to test whether or not the speaker is genuine. Certainly, trustworthy and recognized Christian leadership may and should assess the legitimacy of a tongue's gift. But even this is collective subjectivity. Prophecy is quite a different matter, however. Prophecy is speaking a message from God and thus is speaking for God. Therefore, in our time, this gift may be objectively tested against the objective revelation found in the Bible. If someone is purportedly filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to speak prophetically, then their message must align with Scripture. And most importantly, the prophecy must be Christ-centered or Christ-focused. Uh, listen to this from Revelation 19.10. and I think this is critical, right? It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we have examples uh, you know, of cult groups with the, the leader coming along and diverging from Christ, from the historical Jesus found in the scripture, completely reinterpreting Jesus. Muslims did this when Muhammad recognized himself as a prophet. Jeho- uh, not Jehovah's Witnesses, excuse me. The, the, this is a similar group, but it didn't start as, uh, in the same manner. Um, Mormons with Joseph Smith purportedly receiving a prophetic word from uh, some angel named Moroni and so forth. But they diverge from biblical historic Christianity. And, you know, in, in the instance of Islam and in the instance of Mormonism, they both proclaim a Jesus, but it's not the same Jesus. This is not the same person. It's not the same character. It's very, very different. Okay. That's why if, you know, you may not have the gift of discernment, Um, You may not have been trained, but if a prophetic message comes forth and it starts proclaiming something other than Christ as Lord or diverges from that, you need to run. You need to get out that back door as fast as you can get out that back door, right? Um, So if prophecy fails to align with Scripture or be Christ-focused, then it's not from God. It's not something that I can... um, uh, confidently assume or understand or believe to be from the Lord. Okay. Um, So the apostle Paul states later in chapter 14, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. So there's accountability with prophecy as well. There are other people in the room who are recognized who are mature uh, who have this, this gift of prophecy. And you know, if you don't know, And the person seems to be speaking something that sounds somewhat biblical. And maybe they say Jesus a few times. You don't know. But if there are other people in the room that are mature Christians who know the word of God and have this gift, well, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. They're going to be able to assess whether that's legitimate or not. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So, here we have a further definition definition of what tongues is. Some have called tong- tongues a... Uh, <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied while I'm trying to do this lesson today. There's some other force that's interfering with me in this room here because this is getting on my nerves. All right. Um, some have called tongues a prayer language. Well, listen again. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to... God what is prayer It's talking to God right for no one understands him other people don't understand him or her but he or she utters mysteries in the spirit this is going to help you understand what may be going on here Um, here are eight facts about the gift of tongues number one the primary audience for the tongue speaker is God if you're speaking in tongues so that other people in the room can hear you and be impressed with you, the motive is wrong. So the Holy spirit is not probably not behind it at all. The audience for the tongue speaker is God. So it is for the purpose of prayer. It is indeed a prayer language. Number two, the primary purpose of tongues is to build up the individual, not to build up the body. Now, you have to be strengthened if you're going to help other people. You have to have a good, healthy relationship with Jesus if you're going to, uh, extend that to others. So it's not to say that by extension, uh, tongue speaking doesn't help other people, but that's not the purpose, the, the initial purpose of that gift. It's to build up the individual. And that's what it says in verse four. Let's go back up and read verse four again. Uh, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies, (laughs) prophesies, builds up the church. I really am having problems with this tonight. Um, Number three, genuine tongue speaking is non-intellectual. Again, not anti-intellectual, or perhaps we could call it supra-intellectual. That is, it is above or beyond rational thinking or the the cerebral the intellectual it's a supernatural phenomenon so that's what we need to understand it's not something you work up it's not just babbling uh you know with some sort of unknown language that you've made up i I think i might have said this last time that we talked about this but when i was a kid my mom and i had our own little funny language and we said the same words over and over again. And uh, I don't know, my mom hasn't talked to me in a while, but um, <laughs> well, I love my mom, but she won't talk to me. <laughs> um, she sends me YouTube videos, which is very nice. But uh, still when we talk periodically, you know, she'll, she'll say one of these phrases that we used to say when I was a kid and it was funny, but that's not supernatural. It is kind of, you know, Non-intellectual; it's just funny, and you know, and creative. I guess you could say, but that's not tongues. Is tongues is supernatural? It is the Holy Spirit um, working on my spirit and creating this event, if you will. Okay, Uh, tongues is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it cannot be called up by the individual apart from the direct inspiration or intervention or movement of, this is the Holy Spirit that is causing this to happen. I can't speak in tongues just like I'm speaking to you. I can think of what I'm going to say and say something to you. Tongues doesn't work that way, right? It's, I mean, I never know when this is going to happen, but it's usually when I'm overwhelmed. It's usually when I'm overwhelmed and in need of praising, praising, uh, or in need of crying out to the lord and i just don't know what to say um you know there was uh, it is at times for me evidence of the presence of the holy spirit working in the room and then a couple of sundays ago um, i was standing up here and that was something that the lord did and you know, this is not something that you would have noticed or that I would have been loud about or anything like that. But I was very grateful because I thought, you know, the, the spirit is working in here. Right. But, it, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know anything. Uh, I, I used to use the example of the radio. I guess we still listen to the radio. Do you still listen to the radio? Right. Um, television, anything like that. You, you've got to be tuned into the right channel. Right. I mean, if, you're, if your radio is, it's not tuned properly, you just get static. Sadly, I think that's what's going on all too often in, a, in any given church on a Sunday morning is it's just. There's just, you know, or they're just hearing like the old Charlie Brown, you know, all the adults. You, you never heard an adult talk. It was just always that wah, 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 wah. And somehow I just, I think it's kind of like that. But you need to be listening with ears that are in tune with what the holy spirit wants to say what the holy spirit wants to do tongues are a manifestation of the spirit and no i don't think that everybody will receive this gift but i probably i do think that more people at least in our congregation than currently have experienced it could if they were more open but i don't think you should go chasing the gift you chase the giver amen you want to be filled with the Holy spirit. And then you just want to be open to let him do whatever he wants to do with you. Right. Um, Number five, the tongue speaker doesn't know the precise meaning of the words they are saying, unless the Holy spirit gives them another gift called interpretation. So when that happens, in fact, I'm a very rational person. And it took a long time for me to be able to let go and even allow that to occur because I begin to immediately doubt my mind engages and I begin to immediately say, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you just doing this? Are you making this up? Is this, what is that nonsense? You see what I'm saying? And I immediately quench the spirit. So what happens? Have you ever had this happen? I don't know if you've ever had this happen. Have you ever offered somebody a gift And they reject it. You ever done that? You offer them something and you think you thought about it. Maybe you prepared it. Maybe you purchased it or whatever. And you had the greatest intentions in the world. And then you offer it to them and they're like, oh no, I don't want that. How does that make you feel? Right? It's just, you thought you were doing something so good for them and they won't receive it. Right? wonder how the Holy Spirit feels. Yes, God has feelings. I wonder how he feels when he wants to give you one of these gifts, but you're like, no, 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 I'm good. (laughs) I'm good, Lord. I got this. I'm fine. That weirdness, I don't want to be religious and weird like one of them Pentecostals. I don't want all that, okay? Well, you may be, and I'm not just saying that gift. This is just one gift. You may be interrupting or interfering or putting a block between you and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, right? Just be open to what he wants. Um, So tongues frees the speaker. Remember, the the speaker doesn't know exactly what she or he is saying. Therefore, tongues frees the speaker from concern about what to say to God and allows them to worship freely. It delivers the speaker from self-awareness. Wow, wow, wow. See, the minute I become self-aware, I quench the spirit. And now I have to just make it up to keep doing it, or it simply stops. If this is operating the way that it should be operating, it frees you from self-awareness because all of these gifts require me to be completely tuned to God, to the Lord Jesus. I'm focused on Him. This is a prayer language. It's about me communicating these deepest thoughts and feelings and emotions to the Lord. The minute I start, you know, engaging in some sort of, uh, you know, uh, performance in front of everybody, right? Then I've, I've lost the purpose of this, which is to to deliver me from self-awareness and, the, and worrying about, oh, uh, 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 what am I going to say? i got to pick the right word to say to God. I just, I have, this is pent up. It's, it's so deep and in me and I don't know what to say to the Lord and, and I don't have the education that's necessary. Uh, you know, I don't have the words and, and I'm stuck and tongues frees you from that. It just flows, right? Because it is the Holy Spirit working with your spirit. Okay. And there is this free flow of communication that's going on there. All right. So it delivers the speaker from self-awareness to be completely absorbed in the Holy Spirit's movement within number seven. This is why tongue speaking in public may be antithetical to its nature. That is, it is opposed to its nature and its purpose since it is since it's exotic expression, draws attention to the speaker. That's not the purpose of tongues. If you're doing something to get attention, okay? That's that's not what it is. That's not why it's there, okay? Um, number eight, the last one. There are rare occasions when this is not the case. That is, when tongue speaking may occur in public. Uh, and I mean, where others could hear it, but it would involve a person completely absorbed in the Holy spirit and an interpreter present. Okay. All right. Um, then uh, the apostle Paul says, on the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So the primary audience for the one who speaks prophetically is the community of faith or the church. The primary audience for tongues is God, not other people. The primary audience for prophecy is you. That's prophecy or teaching. The purpose of prophecy is to build up God's people. Remember, the purpose of tongues is to build up the, the worshiper. Okay, But the purpose of prophecy is for God to speak through you, to build others up. Now, you don't have to be called to be a prophet to speak a prophetic word at a particular time. When you have a fitting word, right? Then you know, a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, that can be construed as prophetic, right? I'm speaking forth God's word to other people, and but it is it's different than teaching. Uh, I'll talk about that uh, uh, later because I don't want to recover the same ground. But teaching leaves you to make the application in short. Okay. I'm going over this and I'm showing you different things. And then I'm offering you that so that you can think through it and work through it and make your own decisions. That's teaching. Prophecy is you need to do this now. The Lord says this. This is what the word of God says. This is what we need to do. Prophecy pushes for a decision. Okay. Um, Then the apostle says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. We covered that. But the one who prophecies builds up the the church. So both tongues and prophecy are given for edification. Here it is clearly stated that tongues are primarily for building up the individual. Prophecy is for building up the church. There's a time and a purpose for each. Sometimes I need my faith strengthened, I need to be encouraged, I need worship without worrying about me. It is then that tongues are a blessing. There are times uh, when someone or a group in the community needs to hear a message from God, and that's when the Holy Spirit th- speaks through me to help them. Then the apostle says, "Now I want you now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophecy so the apostle Paul says he wanted them all to speak in tongues and you know, maybe we ought to be open to it. Right. Um, These two gifts are coveted in some church circles and ignored in others. It is important to notice that the apostle Paul stated that he would like all of the people of Corinth to have both gifts. They're both the result of the indwelling and overflowing presence of the Holy spirit. This is what the church is missing today. Friends, genuine spirit filled people, building one another up with encouraging and comforting words from God. This is not about some quote unquote new revelation. So often prophecy is associated with foretelling the future or bringing some new revelation. That's not it at all. If we're talking about a new revelation apart from the Bible, beyond the Bible or beyond Jesus, self-proclaimed prophets have started cults, as we mentioned earlier, uh, because of that view. Then he says the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So prophecy is more important to the church because it follows the way of love for others. Remember when we started this chapter, okay, if I'm going to be spiritual, it is so that I can uh Speak to other people. I can help other people. I can bring other people closer to Christ. That's what it genuinely means to be spiritual, is that I uh, draw closer to the Lord and become more like him and others uh, are given that same opportunity. Um, Prophecy follows the way of love. I'm speaking prophetically, not so that I can hammer on people and tell them what I want them to do. Then that's not prophecy. That's just me telling people my opinion but I'm speaking God's word so that people can be, uh, can be different, so that they can be better, so that they can improve. Um, so uh, this is what I wrote in my notes last time. Perhaps this would look like this in a church meeting. First, it would have to be the type of meeting that encourages any believer to address the group. That's going to be really kind of a small group meeting then, right? In fact, the first time that I ever experienced tongues was in a small group meeting, when one person was playing the guitar and we were singing in worship. That was the first, there were four people there. Okay. So we're not talking about a church service, even in a small church like ours where people are bouncing up all over the room and talking, but that's how they conducted church in Corinth. All right. There wasn't just one preacher standing up there or one teacher. It was, you know, it was moving through the room like that. So let's assume that it is like that. Right. Right. Every believer then would be listening to the Holy Spirit as he speaks through others. Someone in that meeting would be praying in the presence of the spirit and tongues would manifest as they enter into a time of deeper worship. Then the Holy Spirit gives a message, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, perhaps as an an interpretation of the tongue speaking, then a prophetic message beyond that. The person stands and speaks to the audience present with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That is, as the Holy Spirit chooses, urges, and inspires, and empowers them to speak. So somebody's not going to just stand up and speak in tongues loudly. Okay, There's going to be someone who enters into this time of worship and prayer with the Lord and tongues manifest, and then either they or someone else who hears that and has the gift of interpretation, then has the message from the Lord. Then that person stands up and addresses the group with the message from the Lord. Does that make sense? Yeah. So tongues is not going to just be me. And I, I refuse to, to mock this and, and you know, make it funny. Okay. Um, there's enough mockery with people that fake it and others that don't believe that it exists. But it's not someone standing up and just babbling loudly and then waiting for somebody else to stand up and dr- I don't think that would be it. Okay. I think this is like a whole group of people who are entering into worship. And maybe there are multiple people that manifest tongues. But maybe one person who's sitting next to someone receives an interpretation, or maybe the person who's speaking in tongues receives the interpretation. But they don't stand up with the intent of drawing attention to themselves and saying, look at me, I'm super spiritual, I spoke in tongues, and this is what it means. I've seen this happen uh, on stages. I've seen this happen in small groups. I went to a church church, When I was in college, uh, it was a Baptist church, but it was charismatic in nature. And there were small groups, home groups that met. And uh, there was a fella that was, he later became my roommate, as a matter of fact. But he led a small group. And he would typically speak in tongues and then interpret what he just said. I've seen preachers in uh, Pentecostal churches do this. They will purportedly speak in tongues and then immediately interpret what they just said. I just don't think that that's going to be the norm. Um, In fact, you know, as we're going to see, if you're in a church environment and there are any lost people present, you're just going to push them out the door, right? If unbelievers are present, they're going to think you, and I'm not saying this to be, uh, to mock the apostle Paul said this, they're going to think you're out of your mind. I've spoken to people who have gone to churches where a lot of tongue speaking is happening and it scares them, yeah. okay? Now, that can be, you know, a bad thing because maybe it wasn't legitimate, but it it can be a good thing too because it lets them know they're just not ready to receive the Lord. They're not ready to receive the Holy Spirit because when tongues were spoken in Acts chapter 2, right? Those who were ready to believe received the gift of interpretation and knew what was being spoken, right? And we'll get to that as well. Okay. So you need to ask yourself the question, um, do you want the Holy spirit to fill you? Do you want the Holy spirit to give you the gift of tongues? Do you want the Holy spirit to give you the ability to prophecy, to speak to the, the needs of other people? Um, ask, seek, Open yourself up to god's will completely, all right um, There are a number of passages, and uh, I can give you I can give you this uh, this later, but there are a number of passages about the first believers receiving the Holy Spirit and then speaking in tongues and prophesying and by the way, it's always both it's not they receive the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues it's always speaking in tongues and prophesying okay. Uh, When the gospel reached Samaria in Acts 8, 14 through 17, the the first believers there uh, spoke in tongues and prophesied. Um, Cornelius and his household were the first Gentiles to receive the Holy Spirit. There's a very interesting passage uh, in Ephesians where the Ephesians received the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think I'm going to take time and go there. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, It's Acts chapter 19, uh, one through six. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, isn't that interesting? And we're in Corinthians. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So this is the third missionary journey now. The apostle Paul went around Asia the first time, uh, or actually the second time. He didn't make it quite that far the first time. But he went around Asia, which is why he ended up in Corinth before he ended up in Ephesus. And by the way, he was in Ephesus for three years. He was in Corinth for about a year and a half. There, that is in Ephesus, uh, Paul found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Oh, 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 this is interesting. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Hmm, I wonder how many people believe in their head but have never received the Spirit in their heart. Verse 3, and he, that is Paul, said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. So they hadn't even been baptized in the name of Jesus yet. They had just been baptized by John's baptism and John was pointing to Jesus and saying that he was the Messiah, but they had not yet become full-fledged disciples. Listen, friends, I'm going to tell you, we have people like this all over the place in our churches. They may have been baptized as babies. They may have been baptized as children. They may not have been baptized at all. They believe in their head, but then they drift off, right? They doubt all of these sorts of things. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Now, they're immediately willing, right? They're ready. They're ripe. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now notice, as soon as they were obedient, something miraculous happens. Verse 6 and when Paul had laid his hands on them, after they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Ephesus became, outside of Antioch, probably the strongest church in the early days. And there was there was a, a very, very significant amount of... Uh, um, difficulty that the Apostle Paul encountered there. So, I should say opposition, just outright demonic opposition is what the Apostle Paul encountered there, right? Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and, and clip it there. Um, there's the, the next section is verses 6 through 12, and we will get into that next time. So I guess this is a good place to leave you with that story, Because you can look at yourself and those of you that are listening to the podcast or watching online, you can evaluate yourself. Where are you at? Do you believe that Jesus exists that's in your head? Well, that's not a saving faith, friend. And when we say receive Jesus in your heart, we mean that we're putting our full trust in him as God's son, the savior of the world, right? Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, he's the boss, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. Then it says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to actually call on Jesus' name. You have to actually ask Him to save you. Call out to Him to save you. And then open yourself up to receive His Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And then let Him do what He wants to do in you. Let Him fill you up to overflow. And be obedient. See, if you say you have faith, but you're not willing to be obedient, you say you have faith, but you won't go to church, you're in disobedience. If you say you have faith, but you won't be baptized, you're in disobedience, friend. I mean, I'm not being mean to you. I'm glad you're tuning in online and all of that. But I'm just being honest with you. You need to be in fellowship. And sitting there watching on your couch is not the same thing. Watching your phone or wherever it is, I'm glad you're watching. But you need to be in church, you need to be in fellowship, you need to be baptized. And if these things are a part of your life, then you need to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Um, Don't be stuck like these believers in Ephesus were. They thought that they believed, they thought that they had it, but they had not opened themselves up and been filled with the Spirit yet. So that had to happen for them. So what's the block for you? What's stopping you from taking the next step? If you're in fellowship and you've been baptized and you do believe you're being obedient, then start asking and seeking the Lord for the next level in your spiritual walk, right? If that means tongues, if that means, you know, you're going to allow the Lord to to use you in some way to to serve in your church uh, or to begin reaching out to people in your life, your family to begin with, um, then let the Lord do that because that's what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus to become more like Jesus, and to be his hands and feet here on earth. All right? God bless you guys. Thank you for attending online, and I hope you get into a church somewhere.